on up. Uh, the scriptures will also be on the screen behind them, and then the questions for the week are in your bulletin as well. Good morning. For those of you that don't know, let me introduce my daughter, Nessa. So she now be reading today. I'm going to be taking the Old Testament readings from first one here. It's actually quite long. Um, wonderful story. You've probably heard it, uh, but we need good refreshers. First Samuel 17, 1 through 49. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soka and Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes Demim between Soka and Eska. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Eli and drew up the battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another. And the valley between them uh, was there. The champion Goliath, who was from Gath, came out from the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. Um, that is 125 pounds he's wearing. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves, a bronze javelin slung on his back. A spear shaft was like that of a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels, which was 15 pounds just for the point. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come out down to me. If he is to fight, uh, be able to fight and kill me, then we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight it out. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now, David was the son of an Aphrodite named, no, is that right? That. Yeah. <laughs> named Jesse. We know Jesse. Who <laughs> was born from Bethlehem in Judea. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time, he was very old. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to war. The firstborn, Eliab, the second, uh, Abinadab, and the third, Shemna. And David was the youngest. The three oldest had followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep in Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and every evening and took his stand. Now Jesse said to his son David, uh, take this ephod of toasted grain, ephah of toasted grain, and these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along uh, these 10 cheeses, that sounds great, to the commander of their unit and see how your brothers are doing and bring back some assurance for them. Uh, they are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Eliab fighting against the Philistines. Early in the morning, David left the flock uh, in care of the shepherd, another shepherd, loaded up and set out, and Jesse had directed, as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left its things with the keeper of the supplies, <clears throat> ran to the battlefield lines, and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion of Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. 
Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Now, the Israelites had been saying, do you see this man? He keeps coming out. He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him, and he will give him, even give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. David asked the men standing near him, what would be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and, and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom do you leave these few sheep in the, the few sheep in the wilderness? I know you're conceited and and your heart is wicked. You came down here to watch the battle. Now what have I done? said David. Can't I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter, and the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, let no man lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been keeping his fa and, a and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came up and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair. I struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put on a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around, but he wasn't used to it, wasn't used to them. I, I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. He took off, he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked at David, looked, over, looked him over, and saw that he was a little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? The Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said. I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. It's yeah. <laughs> good. And the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied, this day the Lord will deliver you in my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcass of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those who gathered here will know that it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all into 
your, our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine in the forehead. The so stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. The New Testament readings will be Nazareth. 2 Corinthians 6, 1-13. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. We put no stumbling block in anyone's path. So that our ministry would not be discredited. discredited. <laughs> Rather, as servants of God, we command ourselves in every way in great endurance, in troubles, in hardships and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, in hunger, in purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit, and in sincere love, in truthful speech, and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, Dying, yet we live on. Beaten, yet not killed. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Poor, yet making many rich. Having nothing, and yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened wide our hearts to you. We are not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak as to my children. Open wide your hearts also. Mark 4, 35-41. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have, do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Thank you. Thank you, Leanne and Nessa, for reading this morning. It is so good to have Nessa and Matt here all the way from Atlanta, and, and uh, we welcome them uh, this morning. It's good to be together in the house of the Lord, and I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles out, and we're going to look at all the scriptures we just read, and so we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 17 to begin, and then on the back of your bulletin, it's blank for you to take sermon notes, so... Just turn your bulletins over. There's a pen in front of you. There's going to be some things on the screen that you can write down. You can also write down anything the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart today as well. So uh, let's dive into God's Word. I love, I love, I love that we're going through the Bible. We're just kind of going passage by passage, looking at all of these sometimes very familiar stories, but we are going through, and I love the Bible, because the Bible is God's word to us. It's what God wants us to know. That's why we have it in his word. He says, this is what I 
I want you to know about me, and, and, it, and it looks at our lives, and this is who I want to be in your life, and God's Word does not overlook the struggles that we have in this life. Instead, what the Bible does is it, it shows us His power and His presence in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of everyday real life. And in our stories today, we saw a giant and a storm. We also are going to read about a thorn in the flesh for Paul. There are all of these things that come against us. And I'd like to talk about those in in just the little time that we have together. And so I'm going to begin talking to you about the giants of this life. The giants in our life are those things that are imposing and seemingly impossible to defeat. And today our story was the story of David and Goliath, and that most likely is the most popular story in the whole Bible. People that have never read the Bible, maybe never even gone to church, probably know the story of David and Goliath. And while I could have just mentioned it, and we didn't maybe even need to read it, sometimes it is good to read it, to look at all that's inside of that story. Because who doesn't love a David and Goliath story, right? I mean, that's pretty much every movie or book that we read. It's, It's just that story of someone overcoming impossible odds. There's something inside of us that roots for the underdog. I want you to imagine what Israel felt every time they heard that story, that our God is bigger than any giant. That our God will give us the victory. And I love David in the story because David needed absolutely nothing except his faith in God and his trusty slingshot. As you look at that story, how do you respond to the giants in your life? As we read through that story, there are different characters and different responses. And and I want to look at Saul first. How did Saul respond to Goliath? In verse 10 of 1 Samuel chapter 17, this is Goliath kind of taunting here at the beginning. He says, I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. One way that you can respond to the giants in your life is the way Saul did, and that's with fear. It's not on the screen, but in my notes, I just have fear there. It's all capitalized, bold, underlined, exclamation point. You can write that down in your notes if you want. Sometimes we just respond in fear. We see that giant, and it's like, oh my goodness, I can't imagine. And that's how Saul responds. In fact, in verse 24, it says, As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Every morning for 40 days, Goliath would come out and they would run away in fear. Saul runs away because he doesn't know the power of God. He could know the power of God. God made himself very available to Saul from the very beginning, but what Saul chose to do in every single situation in his life was to trust himself. He said, I'm going to do things my way, because I, I, I don't know if God's going to come through, so, so I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. And Saul was always trying to live life his own way. If we could sprinkle God in, we'll do that, but if I, I, I just want to make sure I take care of everything. And because Saul did life on his own, he didn't know the power of God. 
Saul was a a, a tall man, a strong man, a good-looking man. We know that from when he was called, he was probably the, the, the giant of the Israelites that could have fought against Goliath, but he, he didn't because he had fear. He didn't really know God. He did life on his own. David is the other character, and David responds quite differently. If you jump down to verse 26, it says, David asked the men standing near him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David didn't respond in fear. David responded in faith. If you want to put that in your notes, you can do it. But again, put it in all capitals, underline, bold it, highlight it, exclamation point. He responded in faith. In verse 32, he says, don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. You don't have to worry anymore, Saul. God's got this. See, David knew the power of God. Saul didn't know the power of God, but David knew the power of God because from a very early age on, David was always relying on the Lord. He knew God's power, his rescue. He was a man after God's own heart. He knew God. It says in verse 47, all who gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. I love it. He's trash-talking the giant before the battle even starts. David takes that sling and the stone, and he starts winding up, and he lets it go, and it hits that giant in the forehead, and it sinks deep. And imagine that giant going down face first, and imagine the thud when he hits the ground, and then the quiet on both sides, the awe of that moment, and then the celebration, the cheers that rise up from Israel's side, and then who's running away in fear? It's the Philistines. Imagine the celebration when the giant falls. There's a book by Louis Giglio called Goliath Must Fall, and I want to read a paragraph from that book for you. It says, if some form of bondage in our lives, if there's some form of bondage in our lives, if some attitude seemingly can't be shaken, if some character flaw apparently can't be overcome, if some thought darkens our mind, if some problem has sunk its teeth into our life and we can't shake it as we move through our day, then take heart because none of these giants are a match for Jesus. All of these giants can and will fall. There is no one stronger than your God. Do not run away in fear. Have faith today. We may be weak, but He is strong. The giants must fall. In our story from the Gospels, we have a storm that comes up. It's the story of Jesus calming the storm. And storms are those times in our life that are turbulent. And it's so turbulent, and the storm seems to be lasting so long that we start to feel hopeless. Giants seem impossible to defeat, but but storms have this way of making us hopeless. In our psalm that we read at the beginning of the service, if you read it all the way through, we see that the sailors cry out to God. 
and God is with them in the storm. In the gospel reading, we have Jesus calming the storm, and I love this reading because Jesus is sleeping in the boat. I remember when, when my kids were younger and there would be a terrible thunderstorm outside. I mean, like, crazy, loud, bright lightning kind of storm, and you go and you check on them, and, and every, you'd walk in and they were sound asleep in the midst of this. It's like, how can they be sleeping in the midst of this storm? And that's Jesus. He is sleeping in the midst of the storm. The disciples are not sleeping in the midst of this storm. They're scared and they begin to panic. I want to say this as we talk about storms today because I, I just felt it from the Lord this week and I want to tell it to you is that there's a, there's a truth about storms and it's this. Storms don't last forever. They may feel like they're going to last forever. But storms don't last forever. And in the case of, of the disciples, um, we can kind of pile on them and, and their lack of faith if, if we want to, but I, I don't want to do that in this case because this storm is a little different. This storm is actually, uh, their, their lives are at stake in this storm because you got to remember, these disciples, most of them were fishermen and they've seen storms like this and they've been on the sea when these kind of storms come up and perhaps they've lost a family member or a friend in a storm like this. Perhaps they had to go rescue someone or pull the body ashore from somebody who got caught in a storm like this. So this storm is a little bit different. This storm could take their life. And so they begin to panic and they, they wake Jesus up. Don't you care? And I, I wonder if Jesus wasn't just a little disturbed when they woke him up. Because if you notice how Jesus responds in the, in the Gospel of Mark, he tells the storm, be quiet, and then he starts laying into them for their lack of faith. And so you know what that tells me? It, it tells me that Jesus is not a morning person. He doesn't like to be woken up. I don't know about you, I, I'm not a morning person. And Leslie and I are opposite in every single way except this. We're not morning people. Our house is very quiet in the morning. Each boxer goes to their corner in the morning. We don't, we don't talk in the morning. And then God, in his humor, gave us all children that get up at 5 a.m. for some reason. But, but, but our, our kids are morning people. We're not. But, but I, I take solace in the fact that Jesus wasn't a morning person either because when they wake him up, he, he snaps at the wind and waves. He says, be quiet. And when he tells them to be quiet, they are. And the storm stops. I want you to think about that moment for, for just a second with me. The disciples have seen a lot of miracles to this point. They know the power of Jesus. But there's something different about this one. I've been on vacation this past week, but I heard it rained really bad toward the end of this week. It was like just raining. Imagine if you're out in that rainstorm with someone and you're, you're walking with them, and, and they look at the sky and they say, be quiet, and all of a sudden... It stops raining, the clouds go away, the sun starts shining, and the birds start chirping. Wow. I mean, the disciples have seen a lot, but this is the one that causes them to say this. Who is this guy? Who is this man? 
that even the winds and the waves obey him. They have seen miracles, but this one, this one's different. There's a power about him that goes beyond everything else. And so my question to you is when we gather in his presence, do we realize who we're worshiping? Do we have the the shock and the awe that the disciples had? Who is this guy? That's what needs to be in our hearts as we worship God. The God that has power over everything. One thing you can count on is that God is with you in the storm. Even if you panic, God is with you and He will take care of you in the midst of the storm. So how will we respond when we are in the midst of the storm? If you look at the disciples and how they responded, they were afraid. And to be honest with you, they weren't just afraid. They were kind of upset with Jesus too. Jesus, don't you care? Don't you love us? You're not doing anything about this. What's up with this, Jesus? If there is one element in all the stories we're going to talk about today, that one element is faith that you will have faith that God will rescue you in the storm. And here's the other thing, is that you may be in a storm, and God's not going to stop that storm because it's not going to kill you. It's going to be doing something in your life. It's going to be working something in your life. And so you may be in a storm, so one and two things. One, storms don't last forever, but here's the other thing. Jesus is with you in the midst of the storm. He may say, be quiet, Or he may tell you to be quiet, but he's with you in the storm. You are not alone. So, even in the storm, try to have a little bit of faith. As I was thinking about the storm, I I was thinking about the ultimate storm in the Bible. It rained 40 days and 40 nights. The story of Noah and the ark, and that's a picture of Christ that Noah and his family were called into the ark. God said, come into the ark. And they walked through that door, and the door was closed, and they were safe in the ark. It's a type of Jesus today. We are safe when we are in Christ. When we're in Christ, He's got you. He's going to take care of you. No matter what's going on in the world, no matter what's happening all around you, no matter the storms, He has you. But you have to be in the ark. You have to be in Jesus. You have to be in His family. That's why church is so important. We're together in His family. We're together. This is important because we are in Him and He watches over us. And let me tell you this, He will watch over all the storms of your life. And he, and sometimes we get so scared when we watch the news and we start thinking about the end times and what can happen. Let me tell you, if you're in Christ, He's got you. No matter what's going on, no matter how crazy it looks in this world, let me tell you, When you're in that ark of safety, when you're in Christ, He's got you. And you are safe. You're physically, spiritually, mentally, you are safe in Jesus. If you don't know Jesus today, there are bags on each side of the altar here. They're free. Come up after church take when they have a Bible in there. It talks about what it means to follow Jesus. That is so important because you want Jesus with you in the storm. You want him there. He'll take good care of you. The third thing we read about in our scriptures today in the New Testament, we read about the thorns of this life. The thorns of this life. 
Our scriptures today, they're, they're all about trusting God in the midst of things that we just, we just don't understand that are going on in our life. And Paul talks about an enduring faith in the passage that we read. And we'll pick it up in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 4. We patiently endure troubles and hardships and calamities of every kind. We have been beaten, been in prison, faced angry moms, worked uh, to exhaustion, endured sleepless nights, and have gone without food. He talks about all these things we've gone through, and even with everything that Paul's gone through, he says God is a God of salvation. Everything you've gone through, God is a God of salvation. It says in verse 1 of chapter 6, it says, as God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain, for he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you, and and in the day of salvation, I have helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor, Now is the day of God's salvation. No matter the giant, no matter the storm, no matter the thorn in our life. And in 2 Corinthians, Paul gets very real with us. He shares a personal struggle. He shares with us about a thorn in his life. And thorns are those very deep personal things that maybe no one else can see, but but you know that are there. And they wear at you every single day. I'm going to jump to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and this will actually be in a reading a few weeks from now, but I won't be able to preach on it then, so I'm going to just share with it, share it with you now. It says in 2 Corinthians 12, beginning at verse 5, that experience is worth boasting about, but I'm not going to do it. I will boast only about my weaknesses. If I wanted to boast, I would be no fool in doing so, because what I'm telling you the truth, but I won't do it because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message, even though I receive such wonderful revelations from God. So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I I begged the Lord to take it away, and each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. So I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul gets very personal here and he shares about a struggle that he has, this thorn in his flesh. It could be something personal, it could be something physical, we don't know what it is. We're not sure what this thorn in the flesh is, but one thing we are sure about, and listen to me today, God did not put it there. It says it's a messenger from Satan. There are things in your life, giants and storms and thorns, and you can say, well, why is God doing this to me? God is not doing this to you. Jesus tells us the thief comes to steal kill, and destroy. I have come that you might have abundant life. So there is this messenger from Satan that attacks at him and wears at him. And Paul begs God to take it away. And if there's one person in the New Testament that knew God, knew the power of Jesus, saw the miracles, it would be Paul. And he begs God three times, please, please, please take this away. God responds, my grace is all you need. 
My power works best in your weakness. You think that's what Paul wanted to hear? I know it's not what I want to hear. When I'm begging God for something, Daryl, my grace is sufficient for you. My power will be displayed in your weakness. How does Paul respond? Paul get mad? Paul lose his faith? Did he start complaining? No, look at what it said in that passage of Scripture. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses. I'm not going to complain about this. I'm going, to, I'm going to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults and hardships and persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. How does Paul respond? He responds in faith that even though I'm weak, you are strong. Even though I'm facing that giant, even though I'm in the middle of the storm, even though there's this thorn in my flesh, I will be confident in my God. I love this quote from Corey Ten Boom. It's this, there is no panic in heaven. God has no problems, only plans. You may panic when you see the giant. You may panic when you see the storm. You may panic when that weakness grips you once again. But there is no panic in heaven. God's got you in the midst of all those things. Those things will not destroy you. They will not kill you. He will bring the giant down. He will stop the storm. He will pull out that thorn if it's going to kill you. Otherwise, he's with you. And in our weakness, he is strong. Each of these passages tell us to believe God through the difficulties of life, no matter what they are, no matter how dangerous and unpredictable, we can trust in God. Because listen to me today, you really are safe with God. You're really safe with Him. And it may not feel like it today, He will give you the victory. He will. It's promised to us in His Word. And so what we need to do in the midst of the giants and the storms and the thorns, keep our eyes on Jesus. Stop looking at the wind and the waves and how big the giant is. Stop looking at the thorn in your flesh. Just say, God, I trust in you. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Will we get hurt in life? Yes, we will be hurt, but we will never be defeated because God is on our side. No matter the size of the giant or the storm or the thorn, God is bigger and he is stronger. This past uh, week, we were on vacation, and as, as those that are a part of our church know, every summer we take our vacation in Iowa, and people may say, why do you go to Iowa for vacation? And the reason is I've been doing it since I was a little boy. I go back to New Sharon, Iowa, a small town, about 1,000 people in that town, and that's the town where my, my grandpa and grandma lived, and when I was starting at seven years old, and that would be in the mid-70s, and, and mom and dad were planning the church here, and and they were, you know, they were so busy, so I'd go off in the summer and spend time with my grandpa and grandma. And, and so when I'd go there, we would go to somebody's house for coffee or lunch or dinner. And, um, and uh, at that age, I was deathly afraid of dogs. It struck fear in my heart. I just, I just was always scared of dogs at that age. And, and, um, and, and, and when you're in the country... Country dogs are different from city dogs because in city dogs, you know, they're on a leash walking around. 
owners got in country, they're just they're just roaming. They're just roaming, and they're barking, and they look mean, and and uh, and so I, I remember every time we go to house, everybody everybody has a dog in Iowa apparently. I don't know, but so we'd go, and they this the dog would be barking and carrying on, and I was so scared. And my grandpa would say, "Don't be afraid, I got you." And my my grandpa had an amazing way with animals, and so he always could calm the dog down. And we'd go in, but I mean, I would just. I would hold on to him for dear life. I remember crying and screaming and just like so scared. Every time, just holding on to my grandpa until we got in and, and got back out. And I was just a mess. Every time I saw it, just an absolute mess at seven years old. I remember this to this day. There was one time we were back and leaving a house. And, and so my grandma and I were in the car. My grandpa was still in the house, maybe saying goodbye to the, the folks in the house. And, and, and my grandma and I are sitting in the car. My grandma said, and she called me Daryl Boy. Daryl Boy? You don't need to be afraid of dogs when your grandpa's with you. I, I watch you, and you just carry on. When, whenever that dog starts barking, your grandpa's got you. And he's, he, has he ever let a dog get you? No. And so he just, you know, just starts telling me that, and I, I, I start going, I guess I am safe with him. And, and then my grandma said this, your grandpa would never say anything. He goes, but I bet you he's sad when he sees how scared you are. Because he's going to take care of you. Your, 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 your grandpa will take care of you. And I bet you it makes him sad when he sees you so scared. I haven't forgotten that to this day. And I wonder about God because God's got you. You don't have to be afraid. I just said over and over in the Bible, don't be afraid. Have faith. Don't, don't be afraid of the giant or the storm or the thorn. Don't be afraid. And I'm not saying God's all sad up in the sky when he sees us scared because he's there for you. My grandpa would be there for you whether I'm crying or I'm believing in him. It doesn't matter. He's there for us, but, but you don't have to be that scared little boy. God's got you. He's going to take care of you. We may not understand everything that's happening to us in this life, but I guarantee you that God is good and his love endures forever and he's with you no matter the giant or the storm or the thorn that you're facing right now. So don't be afraid today. Have faith. Would you bow your heads and your hearts with me as we conclude our time together? Lord, we just uh, give you the word this morning, and we thank you that it is now kind of dripping deep into our hearts, God. Lord, I pray that, that it would find good ground there, and we would not be afraid of the giants. We would not be afraid of those impossible situations that we face. Lord, I, I pray that, that in the midst of the storm, when we feel hopeless, and it seems like it will never end, Lord, let us know that you are with us. Remind us that giants fall and storms cease. But God, you are strong forever. Lord, for those thorns, those personal weaknesses in our life that aren't going away, Lord, we beg you to remove them. But even if you don't, even if you don't, in our weakness, you will be strong. 
we can put our hope in you, our trust in you. That's what your word teaches us from beginning to end, that you are always with us. That even in the midst of the most difficult moments in our life, we can trust you. We don't have to be afraid. We can have faith. So we pray as the disciples prayed, Lord, increase our faith. Increase our faith this week. May we have the faith of David. May we have the faith of Paul. Jesus, may we know you in the midst of our storm. Lord, I pray that, again, your word would be with us all week long. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite uh, Jared to come up. Uh, Jared shared with me at, at uh, the time uh, uh, when we were welcoming one another.